today, God has given us the opportunity uh, to continue on, not in a chapter two, but in a man that is the example of what his father had produced. There's something that is a truth. We teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. And so we have the privilege this morning to listen to the fruit of all the years of teaching. Could you welcome Dr. Paul Cole as he comes to minister God's word this morning? Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with Pastor Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the Senior Pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona, welcoming a guest speaker for this message. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. Join us at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Center or to make a donation online, visit us at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now, with today's message, here's a word from our guest. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, Pastor. Amen. Let's give it to Jesus. Come on. Fantastic. Amen. I, um, wow, one of the most exciting churches in Arizona, amen? Turn to someone right now and just say, this is going to be great for you today. And turn to somebody else and say, it's already been awesome. That was amazing. What an amazing testimony. Psalm 92 says this. It says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree, grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house, everybody say in the house. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. I've never been introduced as fruit before, so that was kind of cool. How many of us, how many of us would say that since we started coming to Victorious Life that our, our lives have grown larger, that, that, we've, that we're more firmly rooted? You know, storms come to everybody's life, don't they? And so the definition of peace, I see financial peace. What an amazing outreach and ministry, and, and I just... You know, thank God that we have pastors who have that vision for us to become healthy in every part of our lives. Amen. And so the Bible says in Psalm 92, you flourish in the courts of the Lord. How many of us know somebody whose life needs to flourish? How many, how many of us have a brother-in-law? Come on. How many, how many are cousins? Come on, somebody, come on, somebody. I mean, we're living in Flagstaff, right? We know some people who need to flourish. And, and this is a place, if we'll just bring them, they'll flourish. Presence God is here. Now, I just want to give us a little illustration of what it is to bring somebody. How many of us know somebody you need to bring next week? Just touch the person next to you and say, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Everybody knows somebody. Everybody knows somebody, right? So here's how, here's how we normally invite somebody. Hey, man, you want to go to church next week? No, I didn't think so. Okay. But here's how you bring somebody. Hey, man. Hey, next week, Sunday morning, 930, showing up in front of your house, bro. You're getting in the car. We're going to this place that's going to blow your mind. And then I'm buying lunch. Are you in? Like, he's like, I'm in right now. 
Okay? That's how you bring somebody. Turn to somebody and say, did you learn something? Did you learn something right now? Because that's, that's what it's about. If we just bring somebody, it's the, the thing we, it's, see, the, the role of a pastor, of course, I love the, I love the one that the, where the, uh, the old definition was, which is that we, uh, that we comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. But the role of a pastor, our, our whole process together is you and I with our pastor, is if we'll bring people, God's put him in, in a place uh, with such depth that that person's going to find something new in their lives. Amen. So bring somebody. Turn to somebody right now and just say, bring somebody next week. Bring somebody. I can't think of a better place to be on a Sunday morning than right here with Pastor Tim and Jewel Masters. These guys are awesome. Can you give them a hand? Fantastic. I mean, California rock and roll. I, mean, I heard you start singing up here. I heard that little thing, you know. Old rock and roll player, man, meets the brilliant girl from the Midwest. And they moved to Flagstaff and started church. Is this awesome? I'm psyched up. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty fired up about being here this morning, being part of this, hearing that testimony. That's what it's about. That's why we do the ministry to men all over the world. Everybody stand up with me for a moment, would you please? Thank you. And uh, here's what I want to do. This is crazy. I, just, I want all the men to come up to the stage, every single man. And if, and if you see a guy that's not sure, just tap him on the shoulder. <laughs> so every man, on the stage, on the stage. Here's what we, this, is, this is going to be awesome. Look at all these men. Look at all these men. Every man on the stage. Come on, man. Like, I didn't wear my. Come on, every man on the stage. This is awesome. Pastor, this is, this is awesome. There's, there's as many people on the stage as there is. Sitting down here, that's, that's incredible. Here's what we're going to do. Every man on the stage, we're going to bless this house. For too often in our culture today, you see, we live in a world that seems to be more concerned about the calorie content of our children's lunches than the character content of our children's hearts. And what we have here right now on this stage is men who, when, when people about victorious life, our, our hope and desire is in this entire, is it a valley or a mountain or flags of mountain, okay, 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 that when they think of the men of the mountain, they think of men who are not predators, but they're protectors, that they think of a church that if, if you want your single mom to be affirmed and loved and cherished and taken care of, there's a place that will do it. Why? Because it's got godly anointed women and strong men. Right. Strong men make strong families, and strong families make strong churches. The strength of a man is never in his hands. It's always in his heart. And over the last couple of days, that's what we talked about. And so what we're going to do right now, men, is we're going to bless every single woman here. We're going to bless the families. And we're just going to have a time of prayer and pray over this house and this place as men of God. Amen? So I want you to do this. Just reach a hand out. Every man here, just reach a hand out. Ladies, if, if you're close to another lady, just grab her hand. 
and we're going to bless every single family. We're going to pray as men, right? We learned this the last couple days. We're going to pray as men. That, that means out loud, together, and with some strength. Amen? Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bless every house represented here. We bless the women of this house. We bless, Father, we pray for healing. We pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, your presence. Lord, you know every single story in this place. Your love and affection, your grace and your mercy are alive in this place. And we as men rise up as warriors and heroes, as men of power and men of strength, and we bless the houses of this church. Father, we bless every single woman here. We bless their children. We bless the children that are in children's church right now. Father, in this house, let this be a house in which men are strong. Father, in which men know the word of God. Men will fight for the next generation. Men will fight for their children. Men will fight for their grandchildren. When the drug dealers come to our junior highs, there will be fathers who stand up and say, not on my watch. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray the anointing and power of your Holy Spirit over this place. And the men bless this house. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right. This calls for about a dozen high fives up here on the, as you're seated, you know. Just have a, you have 14 guys. Give them a high five. And say you're an awesome man of God. You can be seated. Fantastic. <laughs> okay. Amen. What about that music team, all those guys? Was that awesome? Have a, have a seat. And uh, turn to John chapter 2. Uh, I think the, uh, the brochure that you get in the morning had something different. And, uh, but this is, uh, the message is Our Father. So just crouch out. Live me water, that's good too, but we're going to talk about Our Father. Amen. John chapter 2, I want to look at something. I think it's the most, uh, one of the most beautiful stories of who Our Father is uh, to you and I. And uh, what a great uh, work that these guys did the last couple days, Dan and your whole team, and the music team, and uh, Pastor Ray, and of course, it wouldn't have happened without the vision of Pastor Tim and his heart to reach men. Uh, when we touch the heart of a man, we reach the soul of a nation. And uh, you can have great crowds with great sermons, but you'll never change a nation until you disciple the men. And so that's why we do what we do, and what we did this weekend. Good to see you, Jerry. And what we, do, what we did this weekend uh, is replicated now with Christian Men's Network. started at my dad's kitchen table in 1977. And uh, <laughs> it, was, it was a particular season in his life and ministry where, the Lord, where he knew the Lord had given him a word of where he was supposed to head as a local church pastor and then to launch out. And so at the kitchen table, and he had called me. I was in business and uh, most of my life and help my dad with the ministry. And then about uh, a little over 10 years ago, the Lord put it on my wife and I and our heart to uh, pick up what the Lord had put into my family's life. And, and so today, in, in, uh, we have uh, in 134 nations, 
36 languages, over 900,000 men every month going through groups like this. Isn't that awesome? I get really excited about it. Let me show you a picture of my, uh, my uh, wife and uh, grandchildren. I think we have something there, do we, Jeff? And uh, because really the, the reason we were able to do this is because Judy, who had really, it's kind of like, like you, Pastor Joel, you didn't necessarily sign up for this, but you knew it was a God thing. And so my wife, uh, she married a businessman, you know, a television and film producer and marketing. And, and then all, here we are doing this. And uh, but that's my wife. She's amazing. And that's our six grandchildren. We have three step-grandchildren who weren't in this photo. But, man, I love being abuelo. Amen? I love being abuelo. Dios te bendiga. God bless you guys. I'm trying to learn Spanish. It's a language of heaven. So, you know, we're going to have to know this stuff when we get there. Amen? And uh, so that's our, our children. I love that. You know, little Dylan down here in the blue sweater <laughs> She's a pistol, man. She, like, rules everything now. And uh, she's five. Just started kindergarten. She walked into the second day. She walked into kindergarten. She told her mom, I don't need your help. She's like, no, I'm good. Mom's like, no, I'm walking you. And uh, so uh, it, it reminds me of this story because we talk about the ministry to men as a ministry to men for women. Amen. But men and women are different. We're just different, and so, uh, and it's awesome. I love all those things that make us different and unique. There's a little girl like Dylan, and she comes up to her uh, mom, and she says, Mom, where do we come from? That's that question. Where do we come from? Mom says, well, there was this garden. It was beautiful. There were angels, flowers, you know, beautiful garden, and, and God created us. A little while later, as children do, she came up to her dad and she said, Dad, where do we come from? Dad said, well, uh, you know, there was some mud. And then there was some protoplasm and it grew some legs, crawled out, went to school. So, so she's a little confused, comes back to her mom a little bit later and she said, Mom, you said where we came from, it was beautiful, and it was pretty, and there were flowers, and there was this garden. And I went to Daddy, and Daddy said it was like mud and proto-something, and like grew legs. And I'm just a little confused. And Mom looked at her little girl, and she says, Honey, don't be confused. Your father was just talking about his side of the family. <laughs> so, so. so, yes. Those are the jokes that we can repeat on Sunday. Friday and Saturday jokes are a little different. Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, it's called the Lord's Prayer, but it's really the disciples' prayer because he taught his friends, his, his men, how to pray. And they said, how do, we, how do we really pray? And he said, pray this way, our what? Father. Our what? Father. Our Father who art in heaven. It's a fascinating thing, a prelude to a prayer to launch it with, an image, because we don't think in words, we think in images. And words express the image that we see or we're receiving. And so we think in images. And so what Jesus did is give us, and, and of course Jesus said, and, and what we're going to walk into in John 2 is that 
we, we sometimes ask ourselves, what's God really like? What's God like? What's, is he, you know, because growing up for a lot of us, God is like a, an old guy with long hair and a stick. And the wind's blowing. He's like on top of Sacred Mountain or something. So wind blowing. <laughs> stick. And you do something wrong and he goes, like, gotcha, I see you. Bam! I mean, that's, right? I mean, it's like, God, keep an order. What if, what if God's actually, I mean, think about this. Let me give us an image. What if God's actually the same age as Jesus was when he left? When they, what if he's a 33-year-old dad? What if he's strong and vibrant? What if, like, like when I got home, uh, when I would get home from my business and, and my boys would, two sons and th a daughter, uh, three children, and the, the boys would come running down these stairs that we had and they'd get to the first landing and then they would just jump because that, that's, they were their boys. And I'm, so I'd roll in and they'd be like, yo, hey, bam, and then it was on, man. Let me tell you something, dads. When you walk in your house, you belong to your family. Okay? If you need to decompress, decompress before you get there. There's a little sidebar right there. Just write that down. Turn to some guy next to you who's a dad and just, did you write that down? No, I'll remember it. No, you won't write it down. You know, my dad taught me that, that uh, uh, a short pencil is better than a long memory. Amen? So, so what, if, what if God's that? What if he's strong? What if he's... Bam, what if, he's, what if he's got this, what if he's actually a father who loves and cares? Who does, who, when the kids jump, he catches them, right? So when Jesus says, I only do what the father shows me to do, when we want to know what God's like, we look at the life of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said, he said, I only do what the Father shows me to do. In John 14, he said, he said, I don't even speak a word that he hasn't told me to speak. So God the Father is not just represented, but is lived through the life of Christ. So when he says to us, pray this way, our, our Father, he's given to you and me an image for us to think of of who he is in our lives. Now think about this for a second. For most of us, that image of our Father, I mean, because he didn't say, oh, pray this way, our great sovereign one, or who great creator of the universe. He didn't say, pray all these different names, you know, Jehovah, Jireh. He, didn't, he said, pray our Father. Why? Because it's personal. And what he wanted to do is give us the, the highest image that we could have of who he is for you and I. And yet for many of us, and most of us, it's a picture that says, yeah, the guy who bailed. The one who didn't affirm me. Our father? Are you kidding me? I can't, I can't pray that because there's a disconnect. He's the one who hurt me, abused me, wasn't there, didn't show up, didn't help me out. And so many of us, when we begin to pray that way, we kind of skip over it. But that's who he is for you and I, and we see it in John chapter 2. You see, to be a father, family actually means father's house. Father, that's who he is for you and I. He's a father who will never leave us. My wife, my amazing wife, my spectacular wife, this being taped, 
got an anniversary. We've got a 48th anniversary coming up next week. You know? Come on, somebody. Honestly, that part of the tape, you know, this is a, this is a little, my amazing, spectacular wife. God dropped from heaven. My love, my dove, my everything. Come on, somebody. I'm just getting warmed up for anniversary. So God, God says, this is the image that I want you to have of who I am for you. I'm the God who will never leave. And my wife's, one of her favorite scriptures is this. It's in Hebrews 13.5. Just write it down because it's in the Amplified. And it's the second part of it. And it says this. For God himself has said, I will not in any way fail you nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not, in any degree, leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down, relax my hold on you, assuredly not. Now, in most translations that don't have the Amplified, the Amplified isn't just about bigger words and a cooler-looking Bible that's really big. It, It gives us the underlying meanings of what God's speaking to you and I. In many translations, it would say this. It would say, for he's the God who will be there for you. And too often, because we humanize God, we think of God being there for us, sort of like the person who said, I'll be there when you move. Anybody ever move from one apartment to another or house or something? Like, you're like, I'll be there. Where's that guy? How many of you know that guy? Don't point to him. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Just... So... But the fact is, God said, I will be there, for God himself has said, check it out, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree. In fact, the the reason it says I will not three times is it's a covenant word. It's a legal word, the original word, that means there's a legally binding covenant, I will never leave you. Never forsake you, never let me let you down, or relax my hold on you. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, write it down in your outline. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul said to the church at Corinth, though you have 10,000 instructors, you have not many fathers. He's speaking of his love for those people in that church, the same way your pastor loves you. Is it, it's the love of a father, it's the love that that in Romans it says, nothing can separate you from my love. Nothing you've ever done, no place you've ever been. I was talking with a father uh, recently who was describing something his oldest son was going through and how it was causing a division in their relationship. And yet what he said was, but he'll always be my son. And I will always love him. That's our father. That's the love of a true father. Paul, in describing his relationship to the church at Corinth, says, you have many people who will give you their wisdom, who will instruct you, but you have not many fathers. Write this down. The difference is this. An instructor tells you what he knows, but a father gives you who he is. When, when you get, see, it's, it's, it's with little Jace, as we pray for Jace, and as we've prayed for different things, and my, my uh, daughter by marriage just passed away a few months ago, and, and I look at that, and I, you know, it's, it's I, I, when I don't see the hand of God, I have to trust his heart. When I don't see his hand, I still trust his heart. Why? Because he's my 
Father, my Father, will never leave me, never forsake me. He'll always be there. And no matter when I mess up, Pastor, by the way, your pastor just hit a, just a stinking home run yesterday morning. If I can be colloquial, if you don't mind, wearing a suit, I don't know if I could say that like that, but that's just kind of, I grew up in Santa Cruz, California, I still got a little bit of that in me, and uh, so the guy hit a home run yesterday morning, and we had a man named Travis Harden here from Phoenix, he's a public speaker and, he, speaker, and he just killed it, we had an amazing time, but but Pastor uh, mentioned Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24. It says, the footsteps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. We have a tendency to stop there. The footsteps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. And the next verse, though, is my verse. Because it says, and when he stumbles. Dude, come on, man. Right there. Give me a high five on that one. All right. Man, you clean up good, too. I saw you, you were singing yesterday. You know, it was, and it doesn't say when you, when, if you stumble. It says when you do, because everybody messes up, right? We all make mistakes. Just turn to the person next to you and just say, I've messed up. I have messed up. And so, and so the Bible says, when you fall, you will not be utterly cast aside, for the Lord will lift you up. And Isaiah said... It's with his strong right hand. You see, the heart of a father never stops loving. The heart of a father never stops giving. The heart of a father, a father provides affirmation and love and discipline. And, and the heart of a father loves at all times. And so when Jesus said, pray our, what? Our father, it was to give us this image of who he is, even when I'm, See, he still loves me on my worst day. Come on, Come on somebody, man. I, anybody ever have a worst day? Oh, yeah. yeah. How many of us know our worst day? Some of us, our worst day is still ahead. They're behind us, ahead of us. Storms in life. Here's the deal. The fact is there will always be storms, right? But Jesus said, but I've come as the prince of peace. Peace, my friends, is not the absence of storms. It's the presence of God in the middle of the storm. That's the true definition of peace. His peace, Psalm 46, Judy and I were in a transition, 1975, 74, 75, and a transition in business. And man, Psalm 46 became alive. We would pray it every morning, every afternoon, every night. He's the God who's always there. He's the God who's not silent. That even when the, when the storms are going on, he's there. He's, he's, the, he's there in the midst of your most difficult time. John chapter 2, look at this. This is a beautiful picture of our Father. And by the way, we did bring some materials, Proverbs 4, and, and the maximized manhood. I love that testimony. Thank you. I love that picture, maximized maximize manhood. Uh, page 167 says this, says, uh, when a man, because this is part of this, as Bobby knows, is about coming to a place of maturity. And uh, the issue we have in our culture today is we have a whole bunch of immature men. Can I get an amen from the ladies? Amen. And, and so page 167 in the revised Maximized Manhood says, when a man acts like a child, it forces his wife to have to act like his mother. 
Sorry, guys. See, this is why we do men-only meetings. So men-only, deal with this stuff. And a mother does a mother does a few things for a child: corrects them, uh, feeds them, uh, clothes them, and then changes their diapers. And and we got too many women changing too many men's diapers. Can I get an amen? I mean, I can say that in Flagstaff, right? I can say that in Flagstaff. Mountain people, amen. So we brought <laughs> maximized manhood. Is that good or bad? Was that bad or was that okay? It's like I don't know, man. Yeah. My initials, are, my initials are PC, but I'm not. Amen. And, uh, but I had a, uh, I really enjoyed being here and it did some hiking. Yesterday after the event, went out and uh, hiked uh, uh, Sunset Crater, did a couple loops up there, and then with Topkey. Yeah. Topkey went out to the things, did that hike up there, out there. Yeah, fantastic. What an amazing, you guys live in paradise. You're just keeping it a secret, aren't you? <laughs> Yeah, well, we're gonna, I'm going to tell everybody. <laughs> and, and in the midst of that, a church like this. And so Maximized Manhood is here. We have that with us. And then Strong Men in Tough Times is the story of the life of Daniel. It's based and predicated on that. How did Daniel live in a place that's so perverse that when we say that a, a culture is, is perverse, we say it has the spirit of Babylon? Well, that's where this man was. He never left there, and yet he thrived there. How does a man thrive in a difficult place? Strong men in tough times. And forward by our friend Brian Houston. And then my, my wife's husband wrote a great book. Because you don't want to talk about your own stuff. But it's a really good book. And it's on identity. And the core of it is this. Is this identity is the story you tell yourself about yourself. And too many of us are telling stories to ourselves about us that somebody else told us. That the enemies put negativity into. And so that helps clean that up. John chapter 2 is a, a picture of, our, of the launch of the life of the ministry of Jesus. And a picture of our Father in heaven. It's just one of my favorite pictures. John 2, are you there? Have you found it? Got your Bible? Amen. Got your phone, got your iPad, got actual Bibles, paper. Remember paper? It's awesome. Come on, somebody. You got, you got, who's got paper Bible, man? Wave that thing. Look at this. Come on, somebody. John 2, on the third day, a wedding took place in the Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him they don't have any wine. So she's talking to her son, Jesus. I'm reading from the, the Holman version. And it says uh, they didn't have any wine. And so Jesus said, what has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? I'm going to fix that. I'm going to fix that in a minute. My hour has not yet come, Jesus said. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now, six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. You see the picture? Six jars. This is the front of the house. There's a big party going on. It's three days. During the third day, the wines run out. These are obviously friends of Mary's, and she's concerned for them. So she goes to her son and says, hey, I need you to do something. He says, what has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? My hour has not yet come. 
Yeah, I know. Seriously, right? Because, like, this is translated in 1685 by a bunch of old white guys with stiff collars. So <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? No, we're going to fix this. We're going to fix this thing right here. Fix it on the mountain. Amen. Six water jars. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some of it out and take it to the chief servant. And they did. Now the chief servant tasted the water after it had become wine. He didn't know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, everyone sets out fine wine first, and then after people have drunk freely, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus performed the, this first sign in Cana of Galilee. He displayed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Thank you, Father, for blessing this moment. Now, now here's a picture of our Father, because this is the first moment we see, is this cutting out or am I okay? Do I need to go to a handheld or is it? I'm good? I'm good? Everybody's good? So, so this is the first time that we see Jesus start his ministry. I think it's really unique, and I think it, I think it means something that the launch of his ministry happened at a wedding. I think there's a lot of little levels right here, and I just want to unpack it for us a little bit. And then I want to fix that woman <laughs> thing, because here's, here's Jesus. He's, he's showing up, and, and his mom, you ever, you ever been at, you ever had like, you know, you've got some friends over, and especially when my kids were younger, we made sure that like it, the, as we're passing the food, it didn't go by my sons first before it got to the guests. Can I get an amen on that one? Right. It's like, make sure they, this is, this is like, this is that moment where, uh-oh, we ran out, and there's people who are showing up, and Mary is really embarrassed for her friends. So she comes to her son, Jesus, and she says to him, hey, uh, I need you to, like, fix this. Now, let me fix this conversation, because this is the way I think it went. Whenever you read the Word of God, when you read in particular the New Testament and the Old Testament, we have to recognize these are people just like you and me. They're not floating around. Jesus and his disciples didn't float in. They walked in, <laughs> right? These are just real guys. They've got issues, things going on, stuff's happening. They show up on the third day of a three-day wedding. I don't know what you do on the third day <laughs> of a wedding. That's crazy. It's just, I don't know. Play country. You know, I don't know. It's, right? What are you going to do? And so they show up, and now at this moment, Jesus, they've run out of wine, and Mary says to Jesus, my friends are embarrassed. I'm embarrassed for them. Can you fix this? Now, here's the conversation. Jesus goes, Mom, I'm not doing that stuff yet. I haven't even started my ministry. I don't even have all the disciples. She's like, yeah, 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 I understand that. I need you to do something. You and I know who you are. Okay? He's like, Mom, Mom, I'm not doing that stuff yet. So she, this is awesome. This is such a little Jewish mom. She turns to the servants and goes, whatever he says to do, do it. And then she just, she books it. Is that great? 
And now his homeboys, his disciples, are looking at him like, dude, what are you going to do now? <laughs> and he's like, hey, it's my mom, you guys. You know, it's, she's going to be a saint someday. So watch this. Sorry, this. So watch this, watch this, watch this. And she is. So watch this. So now, so now the disciples, so, so these guys, you know, take the, go to these jars. And I'm going to come back to these jars. But, but let me look at why would this happen at a wedding or a feast? First of all, it's a celebration. I think God celebrates. I mean, the hiking I've done over the last couple of days, and uh, I was fishing, uh, first part of the week, I went fishing in Utah for a day because we had an event there, and uh, just the places I've, I was in Iguazu Falls in Brazil about three weeks ago, largest falls in the world with like seven and a half miles of waterfalls, massive, I mean, it's, it, God celebrates life, that's what this, what this church is about, that's why you walk in going, dude, this something's, I had a guy, had a guy, had a guy that, that came to our church a number of years ago, and, it, and it's like this, and my son pastors that church now, he's a much better pastor than me. But he, this guy walked in, his name's Jim. And I just got a text from him from Perth, Australia, where he's teaching uh, physical therapy. And uh, he's so vibrant and excited. But the first time I ever saw him at the door, as he walked out, he goes, he goes, hey, man, is this your place? I go, well, you know, he was checking out why his kids were going there. He's trying to figure out. He says, you know, I love the aura of this place. And I go, I do too. He goes, you know, there's just a vibration come on, somebody. And I go, and I said, I know. He goes, man. And I said, you know, I can actually show you how to access that aura anywhere you are. He goes, you're kidding. So I go, meet me at Starbucks. So I'm like, it's, it's Jesus. You know, it's like presence of Christ, the Holy Spirit. Like, you know, right? Come on, somebody. Celebrate. I mean, celebrate. I, I believe that God start, launched the ministry of Jesus at a wedding because he said, I want everyone to know that I celebrate life. That I'm full of joy and hope. And my will for you is, is, is perfect and good and full of hope. My thoughts for you are not for your destruction, but for your life and future, and that you would have, be full of hope. He's a God who celebrates life, and a wedding is a celebration. I think one of the other things that I see about a wedding is that, that it's not only a place of celebration, it's a place of new beginnings. There's something special about new beginnings, it's new start. We talked about it yesterday, Revelation 21, God says, behold, I make all things new. You know, lamentations, the, the, the pleasures of, or the, the greatness of God and his mercies are new every morning. They're new. I love new. It's, a, it's something new. You know, my wife and, and daughter and I, a few years ago, were driving by and we looked over and there's a church and there's a wedding. It's obvious. There's a stuff there and the people have dressed up and they're going in and you see the bride over there. And, and, and we're driving by and my wife and daughter both at the same time, look over and go, ah. <laughs> Every nation of the world, it's the same language for the ladies. Look over, look at the wedding, go, ah. 
Pastor Tim, I look over and I go, wonder how much that dinner is. <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, come on, let's get real, right? Dude, it's a pretty nice wedding gown, you know, it's like <laughs> father of the bride. And, but that's, I mean, there's something about new. There's something about fresh and new beginnings. And 1 Corinthians 5.17 says, those who become followers of Jesus Christ are no longer defined based on the old them, but it's a new story. There's new beginnings, new life. And I love that. He's the God of the new. He's the God who celebrates. He's the God of the new. And then a wedding is a place of covenant. You know, I uh, heard somebody the other day teaching on marriage, and he very rightly said, it may have been John Bevere, and he was talking about their marriage, and he's talking about he, he recognized a few years into it that this deal was not a 50-50 deal. It was 100-100. That their marriage was, was actually covenant where two become one. And so it's not just a contract. That's part of the issue in our culture today is we can just change the contract and change the wording, but it's a covenant where our hearts are knit together. And see, when God says, I will never leave you, I will not, I will not, I will not ever let you go, it's a covenant. It's not just a contract. Yeah, if you act good for 48 hours. You know, has anybody ever, have you ever done this? I did this one. You know, I've done this one. It's like, I'm really going to pray over this thing, but if I'm really, because it's a big issue, I'm really going to have to get my act together before I pray. Come on, somebody. You're looking at me like, yeah, it's you. You're the only one. Right? I mean, we feel like we have to get good to get to God. But we get to God, and he's the one that transforms us into good. So I'm not, I don't have to get my act together because us trying to get our act together is why we are the way we are. Come on, somebody. Turn to somebody and say, this is, you really needed this today. It's a covenant. It's a covenant where he says, I love you, Romans 8. I love you, and nothing can separate you from my love. Here's another thing I love about the wedding is that it's the start of a new family. It's a family. It's a family that's never happened before, and God is a God of family. He's a God of family. There's this new family that's happening. We get grafted into his family. So when he says, you can call me Abba, Father, it's, it's, it's family. In other words, we have a right as family to call him Father. It's family. Another one, Judy and I, when we, when we got married, she was living in Santa Rosa, and I was living in Santa Cruz. And, and I remember uh, walking into her mom's house, and she was writing something down, and, and uh, then she covered it. You know, uh, weddings apparently have a lot of details involved. All I had to do was show up with my uh, visa card, you know, for my daughter. And then as the groom, all I had to do was just show up. You know, it was like, show up, say this. All right. I don't want to get off into that, but it's, I was like, yeah, whatever it takes. So, so the beauty of, of this moment, you know, as I walk in, Judy's writing, and she covers it. I go, whoa, 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 what's up? She goes, nothing. She's writing. She's like, whoa. I go, what was that? She goes, nothing. 
And Tyler goes, no, 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 what was it? And she pulls off her hand, and she's writing her first name and my last name. And she's, and she's written it like 50 times. You know why? Because she's dreaming. And God loves your dreams. The beauty of Jesus launching this ministry, the wedding, is, is the dream that the wedding speaks of. It's a dream. It's something new. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this. It says that, that, that God created, he says, you're my masterpiece. I created you for good works from before you were ever born. God knew you would be alive right now. You're not here. I don't care how you got arrived on the earth. You're here because God dreamed of you. You were birthed out of the dream of God. And God loves your dreams and your desires. Hey, I need a thing. Right here, I need a thing. All the guys know a thing. I need a thing. All right, here we go. This little thing, Bill. It's a little thing. Here's, here's what the music does. It makes you think I'm getting done. Makes you think I'm landing. But no, 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 no. Here we go. Watch this. I want to finish with this. This picture, when I discovered this, kind of brought this whole thing together, and I looked at it, and I went, wow. That's, that's what it is. How many jars were there? Six jars. 20 to 30 gallons, right? Every house, do you remember Jesus? Remember the Last Supper? Remember the Last Supper? And Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, right? And they said, they said no, 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 that's what servants do. So he wrapped the towel around them, took the water, and washed their feet. In that culture, everybody walked somewhere or took a donkey or a burrow or something, and, but the roads were dusty. By the time they got to a person's house, and so everybody had a jar of water at the front door. They would have a rag there and something to wipe with, and as people came in, the first thing that happened, in the little entryway of every home, and still today, somewhat the same way, there would, be, there would be a jar of water, and they would take it out, and the servants would wipe off the feet, get the grunge off and the dirt and the stuff from the roads and wipe the hands and get some olive oil and put it in the hair, take the dust down. For three days, those six jars have been used by the servants. Hundreds of people walking in and out, and they're getting the water. Because they had to fill it up. In other words, they're halfway empty. Because the water has been used over and over and over. Now, let me ask you something. What's the water like that's in those jars? And Jesus didn't say, hey, you know, take those, dump them out. We're going to steam them, you know, clean them. He just said, just put some more water in. And here's the picture of our Father in heaven. Because he took those jars. And uh, can you imagine the first servant, like, hey, Jesus goes, hey, Take a, uh, a cup and dip it in there and take it to your boss. And, and the other servants are going, dude, are you going to do that? And you're like, I don't know. The guy's Jesus. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess so. You imagine, and the guy goes, and they're all like, whoa. Think about that. because, and, and when the man drank it, he said, this is the best I've ever tasted. See, God can take the soil of life, and the dirt that's happened on the pathway of life. God can take everything that's happened negatively to us, and he said in the picture of these jars, I can make it all new. I can make all of it new.
That's who he is. Stand with me, please. I want to show you one other photo. This is a man who was, went through maximized manhood in Indonesia 12 years ago. And uh, this is that Indonesia family there, picture there, Jeff. And this man had been, uh, 13 years ago, we started discipling, 15 years ago, started discipling men in Indonesia. And today, uh, as of November of this year, we'll have hit one million men that we've taken through maximized manhood. And Indonesia, Indonesia was 4% Christian, 95% Muslim, the largest Muslim nation on earth. And today, Indonesia is over 30% followers of Christ. Is that awesome? So this man right here, uh, 13 years ago, went through maximized manhood, went through the things like, like these men there in Indonesia. Ten years ago, he was away working. And uh, his... Uh, from the island where he lived, the island where he lived in Indonesia, he was away for work. It was a Sunday morning, and that Sunday morning, some jihadists, some terrorists came and torched the church. They began to set fires all the way around it, and the people in it began to run for their lives, and as they did, they hacked, you know, began to cut them with machetes. And then they took some of those people hostage, put them in boats, and took off. When the man heard about it, he rushed back to his village and one of the brothers stopped him and said, man, I, I need to just tell you something. He said, your wife and your daughter were taken hostage. They're alive, but nobody knows where they are. It took uh, a year for them to find out where they were and then another six months to get them rescued and ransomed. Eighteen months have gone by as this man agonized and prayed over his wife and daughter. As the boat came into their village and the hostages were being set free, he went down to the dock and he looked and he didn't see his wife and didn't see his daughter. A man came up to this brother right here and said, man, I need to tell you something. He said, I just need you to just take this. He said, we dropped your wife and daughter off at her father's village a ways back. Because over the last 18 months, your wife became the sex slave of the head of the jihadists. And she's had a baby. And so rather than bring shame to your name, your wife said for you to go on with your life. And she's stopped at her father's village. And her father's going to take care of her. And they're going to raise that baby there and your daughter. And you need, he said, no, no, no. See, you don't understand. He said, what I've learned in this word is, is that when we got married, it was covenant. So that's my wife. I accept responsibility for my family. I accept responsibility for my wife. I'm a man of my word, a man of integrity. He said no. And he took off and he went back to the father's village. He gets there and he starts yelling her name. And people, the villagers, knowing the story, they start coming out. Everybody's coming out. He's yelling. Finally, the father comes to the front door of the hut over there and, and stands in the front and says, you need to go. He says, your wife is here, my daughter is here, but she's no longer your wife, and you need to go on. She doesn't want to bring shame to your name. He says, you don't understand. He says, my wife, we're in covenant. Amen. So he took the father and moved him, and she came to the front door with a little girl and a little baby in her arms. This eight years ago now. Had that little baby in her arms, and... Uh, the man grabbed the baby. All the villagers are standing there, and they're like, 
wow, he's going to kill the baby. This will be. And he grabbed that child and he said, no. He said, you're my wife. It's my little girl and this baby is my baby. So I take responsibility. This is our family. The love of a father. The love of a father. Watch this. This picture was taken about uh, a year ago in a nation where they had to hide because that story touched so many people's lives. They wanted to know, what is it in a man that would cause him to be a father like that? What is it that changes him? And that little girl in the striped sweater, that's the little baby that he grabbed a hold of. That's what our father's like. That's who he is. No, ma no matter how we got here, what happened in our lives, what transpired, the Bible says if we confess Jesus Christ, receive him as our Lord and Savior. He forgives us of all our sins, mistakes, shortcomings, mess-ups. And he says, you are family. Every single promise in this Bible, hundreds of promises are there for those who are followers of Jesus Christ, connected with God through the blood of his son, Jesus but not one of these promises. I don't care if you put Psalm 23 on your refrigerator, on your rearview mirror, everything else you own, that scripture doesn't become alive until you're connected with God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Pastor's going to come in just a moment and conclude this prayer, praying with us who want to accept and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But I also sense and feel as we pray right now, there are some of us here who, when we talk about Father, there's some wounds that need to be healed and some things that need to be forgiven and some difficult things to walk through. Father, I pray right now that the imprint in our hearts right now over the next few moments will begin to shift and change. For those of us, when we say Father, always thought of something negative, Father, I pray right now by the power and anointing of your Holy Spirit there would be a shift, a change, something happen, a new image in us that we would see you as the Father who loves us, will never let us go. A Father who celebrates life. A Father who loves our dreams. A Father who affirms us. A Father who is in covenant. A Father who says you're part of my family. A Father who embraces us. The Father who loves us unconditionally. Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray for that move of your Holy Spirit that would begin to shift and change that in us. And as pastor prays right now, there are some of us, the Bible says, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That means it's a do-over. That means it's a new story and a new beginning and in a fresh start. Right now, here in this place, the Father who loves us like that dad, that Father, right now, is here to receive us, accept us, forgive our sins, and put us in a new path and a new life. From the guest of Pastor Tim Masters and Victorious Life Christian Center with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. 
Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit VLCCAZ.org. That's VLCCAZ.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. Join us at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. I'm Joe Harding. From Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Center, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.